This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, November 2nd, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here today, as always, to help you become a better investor. I'm going to do that by mixing some education as well as some actionable material so that you can take that back to your situation and make good decisions with your money. Now, let me remind you before I get started about an upcoming Invest Talk Wealth webinar. It's only one week away, November 9th, and it's going to be a great one. It's going to look back at the history of recessions. What are the indicators that can tell you if a recession is truly on the horizon? There's always one on the horizon, right? But it's more about one that is more imminent. We've been talking about a recession for a long time, and what happens typically is people jump the gun because they see rates rising, they see tighter policy, they see things getting a bit worse around them, and they start to extrapolate that quickly that there's going to be a recession or we're in a recession. But the reality is these things take time. So we're going to dig into the details, show you how to invest in a recession, as well as understanding the secular backdrop that we are in uh, in aggregate. So there's the long-term secular trends that we're going to discuss as well as the shorter-term cyclical trends, okay? So the title is Profit Amidst Chaos, Strategic Investing in a Recession. It is free and it is online, but you must must register over at investtalk.com. So tell your friends about the new InvestTalk Wealth webinar, once again, one week from today, and just head over to investtalk.com to register now. Now, keep in mind that today, as always, I'll provide, be providing useful data along with my unbiased perspective developed with over 20 plus years of investment experience. And I will talk about the market performance in just a bit, run down our show topics, but right after we answer this first caller question. Hi, Justin and Steve. I am calling from... Northern California, and I have a question about earnings. Say if a company did good in earnings, could it be possible the stock could just stay flat or go on its own journey instead of it going up or down? I appreciate uh, all you do. I've been listening for many, many, many years. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for the call. And this is a good question. A lot of new investors, it can be difficult to understand the earnings season because there are kind of unexpected moves and unexpected non-moves, right? You could have a company beat earnings and everything will look great and the stock just kind of go nowhere. Sometimes it could go down, right? So I actually look at the price movement as a signal that the market is telling you something one way or the other. And it is also not about last quarter. It's about 
the next quarter and really the next year and what adjustments the company makes to those earnings expectations. Because once again, the market is looking forward. It's not looking in the rearview mirror. If it earned a dollar last quarter, but next quarter and next year it's going to lose money, what do you think the market cares more, more about? They care about why that company is now losing money going forward. They're not going to be too caught up in this earning a dollar last quarter. So don't think of earnings that way. Most of what the previous quarter results will be, those are priced in. Because those are signaled, not only by the company, but also analysts. And there's an average street expectation for what companies will earn. So I look at the, <clears throat> the price movement and the future trends and earnings expectations more than what happened last quarter. You're going to get the headlines, oh, they beat by two cents or they missed revenue by X amount. That matters far less than the future of the business. And, uh, and, and I also look at the differences between, say they upgrade their earnings expectations or maybe they keep them flat but the market goes down, you know, prices that stock lower. <clears throat> That's saying the, the stock was priced for perfection. And the future earnings expectations are not what the market was hoping for. And so that can be a signal as well that, hey, this recent run is over because it was too, it's priced too high, priced to perfection. All right, let's go to Sid in North Carolina. He wants to talk about BWA, which is Borg Warner. This is a OEM parts manufacturer. The owner are looking to buy it. Hi, Justin. Thanks. Good evening. Uh, thank you for taking the call. Yes, sure. I do have a less than 1%. Uh, maybe I picked up somewhere in the COVID around $40, uh, $45. And it was okay. No profit, no loss, more or less throughout. It was a sideways. And then, but today, maybe after the result or something, it has gone down. I'm still wondering whether it's a good stock to hold for a long time or to add more or if you could give some direction based on the analysis, what would you suggest? Thank you so much. Sure. Now, Borg Warner is one of the largest, most consistent parts manufacturers in the public markets. Turn equity longer term is kind of in the mid-teens range, which is, which is good. It's a large, fairly large company, $7.5 billion market cap. If we go over to their balance sheet, it's a pretty good balance sheet. Not a ton of debt, but it is in a cyclical business. And I think what you're seeing is the knock-on effects from higher interest rates. You've seen that from the EV makers and their expectations for sales going forward, Tesla being one of them, but many of the other EV makers talking about it as well, that the demand is just simply not there. And a lot of it has to do with price, right? high prices on the EV side. But in general, while there's still some pent-up demand from the pandemic when car production was down, inventory was tight, and it still remains tighter than usual, the demand is waning within the sector. 
because of those high interest rates. And if you get a weakening of the jobs market, which if you look at kind of leading data, you probably get in the first half of next year. That combined is going to, I think, weigh on the automobile market in the near term. So there's a big difference here. It's a good business. If you zoom out to a monthly chart, it's in a general uptrend. Not amazing, but it's an uptrend. It it produces good cash flow and value for you, the shareholder, long term. But near term, I don't see this getting off the mat for probably six to nine months. Obviously, it's down big today, about 13%. So it depends on your time horizon. Long term, good company. Short term, I see too many economic headwinds that are going to weigh on the share price. All right, now as we head into the break, I remind you to check out our new Talk Classroom series. It is streaming now for free, titled Investment Strategies for Short-Selling Stocks. The topic is episode 12 that we've done, and there are opportunities in every market. Sometimes that's to buy. Oftentimes, it's to sell, sell short. So learn more about investment strategies for short-selling stocks and search the InvestTalk Classroom on YouTube. And now my phone lines are open waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Get ready for the next InvestTalk Wealth Webinar, Profit Amidst Chaos, Strategic Investing in a Recession. The Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge, but you have to register in advance to reserve your spot. How could the next recession differ from previous events? With the right strategies, you can safeguard your investments and also seize unique opportunities. So join InvestTalk hosts Justin Klein and Luke Guerrero of KPP Financial as they take you through the maze of mysteries involved with investing in times of recession. Tell your friends about the next InvestTalk Wealth Webinar. It's happening live, online, and free Thursday, November 9th from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to investtalk.com and register now. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are ready to answer your finance and investment questions. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. All right, now we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes or so. And my main focus point looks into the story behind this question. What happens if the sovereign debt bubble burst? So to understand what is happening... Go all the way back to the global financial crisis of 08 and 09 and the start of quantitative easing. So I'm going to talk about the potential for a sovereign default and the government financial risk assessment, as well as the reality of a debt bubble bursting. All right. We also want to talk about a few other Topics. One is in regards to the Ozempic effect. I wanted to get to that a couple days ago, but hopefully we'll get to that uh, today. And also, many millionaires. A lot of people are becoming millionaires. It's not what it used to be, but there are 
beneficiaries from the pandemic era. And it's not just the 1% anymore. Uh, it is more the upper middle class. So we're going to talk about that and why owning certain types of assets have certainly helped. And then lastly, private equity. Private equity was a boom, and now uh, it's an under-discussed risk in the capital markets, mainly because you don't see the price movements on the screen, but there's a lot of stress underneath the surface at a lot of these private equity firms that have borrowed a ton of money at cheap rates and now are suffering, suffering the consequences. So we're going to look at that. Also, some voice bank questions ready to play and an iTunes review question to get to as well. But let's take a look at the market performance today. Now, as I talked about on my video on Friday, I thought we were getting to near a bottom in the markets. And today kind of confirmed that. After a confirmation, basically, that the Fed was on pause. The end of the Fed meeting yesterday, the important question was asked about risks to the economy and what Jerome Powell was saying that they are beginning getting more balanced. And you can see with the the ADP jobs number yesterday that came out that missed expectations, we get another jobs data tomorrow, that the risk to the ec- the economy continues to edge more towards the downside as opposed to the upside. And therefore, it's pretty clear the Fed is on pause. And there continues to be more pricing in of a Fed rate cut going forward into really the second quarter of next year. There's now, these are the odds, May of next year, you're pretty much talking smack dab in the middle of Q2. There's a 44% chance that rates will be the same as they are today. There's a 35.7% chance that there'll be a rate cut. One rate cut between now and then. And there's a 5.9% chance there'll be two rate cuts between now and then. Only about a 14% chance that there'll be any rate hikes between now and then. And then you got up to June, closer to the end of the second quarter, those odds of a rate cut rise to nearly 65%. So that's what's, I think, sparking this market rally. And the shift in treasury auction away from the long end of the curve. And that's brought the 10-year down to 4.67%. And that's certainly helping Certainly helping relieve some of the stress that a 5% 10-year treasury rate was causing. And this has sparked a, a nice rally in markets. If I look at the S&P up about 80 basis, 80 points today, nearly 2%. And we're almost back to the 50-day moving average in just a four-day move. And I will say, this isn't on high volume, though. I was hoping for high volume. This would spark off, spark some major, I think, move, maybe to new highs. But the price movement was pretty good. I don't expect this price movement to key pace, but I do expect us to have a generally positive trend in the year end. Kind of reset markets with this pullback, reset sentiment, and now that's shifting with this Fed pause announcement. All right, 
We're heading into a break. I'm ready for your calls now at 888-99-CHART. Get ready for the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar Profit Amidst Chaos Strategic Investing in a Recession. Set for November 9th, the Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge. Thursday, November 9th, from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to investtalk.com and register now. Let's go to Ritosh in San Jose. He has an investing question. Yeah, hi, uh, Justin. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Uh, sure. Appreciate all your uh, help. So I have, um, like, um, I don't know, maybe somebody says, like, it's too good to be true. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking of investing for, a, uh, like, a long term, 20, 25 years, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I was just looking at it, like, if you look at uh, the history, it's always going to go rise up in the, uh, uh, in the, in the long run, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, if... Like, what's the loophole or drawbacks that I should be aware of if I'm something to look, uh, 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 looking into investing like a TQQQ, right? Mm. Um, yes, this like is what? this is very simple. Yeah, so these uh, you're talking about the leveraged ETFs, right? This is uh, triple Qs, yeah. and the answer is simply what are what are called uh, tracking error. So when times are good. And there's an uptrend. Typically, these leveraged ETFs do well, much better than the overall indices. But when you go through a protracted downtrend, that's when the math starts to work in your work against you, because you have major losses, right? So, for example, if the pullback in the Qs is thirty percent, this is going to go down ninety percent. Right. And then you have to, and then there's, and and that's the issue. And then there's track doesn't always track exactly triple and there's cost to it, et cetera. So if you actually look at the TQQQ versus the actual Qs, you will see going back here, you will see that it is basically flat since 2018. Right, because it went through this long drawdown. When in fact, since 2018, the Qs are at 150. We're at 156 now. They're at 363. Right, you've over doubled since 2018. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. So, why would you want something like that? Right. Um, so I, I, it, it sounds easy. You say, oh, I'm getting triple the performance. Well, that's not exactly true. Over a short period of time, that can be true. And it can build on itself in, in very trendy markets. But these vehicles are for trading only. Day trading, swing trading, you know, holding for two, three, four weeks maybe. But you don't want to own them for longer than a month. Okay. Thanks for the call. Thank you. All right. Now, Focus Point looks in the story behind this question. What happens if the sovereign debt bubble burst? And we're going to talk about potential for sovereign defaults as well as the broader debt debt bubble, debt bubble bursting over the next decade or so. 
And I think this is the risk that so many people are not paying enough attention to. And it really informs the entire backdrop of the economy and the financial markets over the next decade or two. And the pro- the reason that people don't typically have this on their radar is because they just look over the last 10, 15 years, their experience with the market. When in reality, the last 10 to 15 years is typically very different than the next 10 to 15 years. Just go back, look at history. Do you ever see back-to-back periods that you have pretty much the exact same trends? No. Typically, every decade is very different. Like the 90s was very different than the 2000s. 90s was a big bull market. Tech was leading. And the 2000s was you know, all about housing market and then a financial bubble crashing. Uh, banks did well early on. Tech did not. And then banks crashed at the end of that, that decade. Right? And then kind of the opposite happened in the 2010s. Tech took off, did amazing, really through 2021, right, till the beginning of this decade. And now 2022 was the start of kind of that large correction that I think is going to be a long period. But the backdrop of this is simply understanding the trends within budgets of the developed world. And this has been building up. Because, you know, started with the financial crisis and the worry was the bailouts, right? Oh, we're going to spend money. It's going to create all this inflation. And it didn't, right? We had the tea party and there were a lot of efforts to get back to normal. But those efforts for fiscal restraint, they lost steam. By the end of 2010s, austerity was on no one's list of priorities, whether you were a Democrat or Republican or an independent. You had a decade of government spending, government deficits, low interest rates that allowed those deficits. There's really nothing to worry about. But after the break, I want to get into this next step and what that means ultimately for your investments and the global economy. All right, we're heading to a break, so give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Now, before I finish our focus point, let's go to Dave in Cupertino. He wants to talk about Year, the AB Ultra Short Income ETF. You own it or looking to buy it? Uh, yeah, I just bought it about three weeks ago. Okay. And um, I, I was told that this is a great place to put money away where 
it's not going to be very volatile and it's going to give me a dividend. But I'm wondering, is there any downside to uh, owning this long term or should I just stay in this for a short time? And I'll take my answer on the air if you don't mind. I, uh, yeah, my nope. cell phone's almost dead. No problem. No problem. Uh, yeah, so this is Y-E-A-R, year. And this is a bond fund, a very short-term bond fund, effective duration about 0.83 years. So talking about 10 months or so on average. It's average credit quality is double A minus because it's mainly in treasuries. You're talking about 55% is in triple A, 20% in A, and 21% in triple B. So all investment grade. So all high quality bonds. And you're not going to get much more than you're going to get in treasuries. Uh, it's not going to react as much to a Fed rate cut as something that's even shorter. You know, there's there other funds that are even shorter duration than this, but you're not taking much duration risk, which I, which I like. Uh, let's see. What is the price? What is the, the fee here? 25 basis points. See, here's my issue. 25 basis points, not high, but there are other treasury ETFs, short-term treasury ETFs, ultra-short-term treasury ETFs that have lower expenses in this. And that difference is going to be made up by the, 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 the amount of extra yield that this fund is getting by dipping into that triple B, single A category, which isn't a lot of risk, but it's, it's more risk than treasuries. And so I think both are fine. I think it is safe. But once again, if you do have a rate cutting cycle, this yield is going to fall. So it's safe, but also you're not locking in anything kind of medium term if there is a rate cutting cycle. So know that 5.5% yield will decline if you go into a rate cutting cycle. All right, let's pivot back to the our main focus point, which is in regards to the popping of the first sovereign debt bubble in 100 years. And you know, it talked about how up until COVID happened, austerity was talked about, but it pretty much was dead by 2019 when the New York Times had an op-ed promoting the idea of modern monetary theory, which is all about near limitless deficit spending. And the only limit is inflation. Well, guess what? COVID was that spark for inflation. There's $5 trillion in stimulus. And so all that time where it was just, you can spend and spend and Fed just going to keep rates at zero. Well, that's up until there's inflation. And the Fed had to do a U-turn. Otherwise, lose its credibility. And so for a decade plus when the Fed enabled governments, especially the U.S. government, to spend, and I don't care about your politics, both sides are at fault. You could argue which one might be a little more, a little less, but over that time period, you have administrations on both sides of the aisle. Ultimately, the blame, there was really no, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a parent enabling their child 
right? Children do bad stuff. You need to course correct them. And the Fed never course corrected. They never said, hey, you know, Congress, you probably shouldn't run consistent trillion dollar deficits. You probably shouldn't let debt to, uh, your deficit to GDP rise higher than maybe 2%. They never did that. They just said, we're just going to keep rates at zero because inflation wasn't there. And despite the secular backdrop, which basically combined Western capital with Eastern resources, labor and commodities post the fall of the Soviet Union, that was a secular trend that brought disinflation. And so they're focusing just on inflation when it was going to be very difficult for them to get much inflation. And now you have a situation where Fed's raising rates. They've gone to QT, meaning their buyer of last resort is not there anymore. And the market doesn't like that. Then the market also doesn't like losses. Think of all the people that were in bond funds and saw TLT go down 50%. People get spooked. They, they get out. And now you have a debt-to-GDP ratio approaching 130%, which historically, for any economy, is bad news. And you get a situation where, either way, the deficit's going to be potentially double digits compared to the GDP. Meaning, if you don't get a recession, the Fed's going to have to keep rates high. And with the amount of debt that we have outstanding, that just means more fiscal stimulus. That's effectively fiscal spending. If you do get a recession, it's also going to be double digits. Why? Because suddenly tax treats are going to fall. Capital gains, employment tax, etc. And what's happening now is the U.S. government is becoming like an emerging market. And the big tell will be when rates rise and the dollar also falls. Because typically right now, dollar rates rise, money flows in to the United States, and the dollar rises. And all of that actually is deflationary. But over time, that's probably going to reverse the other way. And this is the most important aspect of what's happening within the global economy. Because we are the reserve currency. We were typically the cleanest dirty shirt, which in some ways we still are. That's probably the only saving grace we have here. And then... What type of impact will that have going forward on the inflation rate, right? Because the Fed is going to have to keep the Treasury liquid. It's their main job. All right. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Beirut Don says, I'm asking about Clearfield. It just keeps going lower. Earnings are coming down for next year. Is there a point you would pick some up of this small cap name? 
All right, CLFD. Oh, this is definitely a downtrend. Peaked around $130 per share. Now we're at $25.80 at the close today. That's because earnings were $3.55 last year, expected to be $1.75 this year, and $1.37 next year. And those estimates continue to come down. Now what they do is they manufacture fiber distribution systems, optical components, uh, basically in the telecommunications field. Now if they're going to make $1.37 next year, and it's a $25 stock, you're talking about an 18 to 19 times forward multiple, a market multiple for a small cap name whose business is shrinking. Now, that has a good balance sheet. That's a good thing. Pretty much no long-term debt. I like that. Long-term return equity, high teens. I also like that. Let's take a look here. Let's look at a chart. Did get a nice up move the last few days with the overall market. Hmm. I see a MACD divergence. Yeah, technicals are starting to firm up. I'll say this. This is the area that you'd want to pick it up. And just use the last month's low as you're out. That's what I would do. It's a very small cap name, right? $392 million market cap. But it has a lot of assets on its balance sheet. And no debt. No dividend. Let's see, is it buying back shares? No, it's been issuing more shares. I don't like that. But, uh, you know, the question will be, this is the question, uh, to know whether it will hold yesterday, last, last month's lows. Where's... Where's the ultimate plateau? If we go back to pre-COVID earnings at 34 cents, it's going to go much lower than this. And that's my worry. Technicals, I do see a bounce here, maybe into the 30s, the 25.80 now. But I don't love that long-term trajectory of where earnings were. And is this a flash-in-the-pan type of uh, burst in earnings since COVID? And now is this reversion to the mean. And if it is a complete reversion, it's going back to single digits. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the Ozempic effect. It's hot, hot topic. And this is a series of drugs, not just Ozempic, but they're called GLP-1s. And a lot of investors are moving money into the stocks of Norvo Nordisk, which makes Ozempic, as well as Eli Lilly, which makes another GLP-1. And they're selling off a lot of companies that benefited from people eating bad food. And they're extrapolating that this will solve things like diabetes and heart disease. Now, the issue, though, is that these are expensive treatments. There's unpleasant side effects, nausea, digestive issues, because basically what it does is it prevents you from, your, your stomach from emptying. That's why you feel full longer, because you actually are. Usually, you eat the food's gone in your stomach into your 
intestines going through the digestive process within about an hour. These prevent that from happening for many hours. So there are longer-term effects this is likely to have on digestive systems. And this reminds me of many other diet fads from the Atkins diet to Weight Watchers to other drugs. Think of Fenfen in the early 90s. That was a Pfizer drug. Caused a lot of problems. Let's go look. And the big question is, will this really have a lasting effect on the junk food market, the candy market? Because the drug costs about $10,000 a year per person. It's a lot. That means for the majority of Americans, this is unaffordable for them. And signs of this actually hitting profits of these food companies, not really there. PepsiCo saying they're not seeing a, an impact. Companies like Abbott, who make a glucose monitoring system, they said their sales are up. And so here's the question. What impact will this actually have? I think these drugs aren't going away, but there will be an increasing admit, uh, acceptance that there are side effects that you have to be comfortable with. And those side effects are likely only going to be worth it if you have a major issue. For example, you have heart disease, you have diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is rampant. It's basically because you have too much... Uh, carbs in your in your system. A lot of people have been cured of di- type 2 diabetes just by going keto for a long period of time, burning all those carbs. And obviously this is going to help that, right? That's what the Atkins diet was was basically doing. And so it helps people keep that discipline. And so I think from a diabetes treatment ex- uh, perspective, I think it actually will help. I think it will have a material impact longer term. But every day to, everything day-to-day, I don't think people are going to do it. If you don't have any major health issues, people aren't typically going to get ahead of that. Right? Preventive medicine isn't a thing, even though it probably should be in this country. It isn't. And the best preventive medicine is eating healthy. And this can help people do that, right? lowering their calorie intake. And so is this have a long-term effect on the food companies, right? The Hershey's of the world, the McDonald's of the world. I don't think so. But it very well could have a large impact on the diabetes market, the the healthcare market. Uh, Companies that make knee replacement have, have suffered recently. I think those have less of an impact. But I do think the diabetes market could have a major hit because of this. All right, this Invest Talk, now with more than 56.6 million downloads thanks to you. Our work continues after our final break. So hang on at 888 chart
How can you preserve and grow your capital during the chaos of a recession? Tell your friends about the next InvestTalk Wealth Webinar. Profit Amidst Chaos, Strategic Investing in a Recession. It's happening live, online, and free Thursday, November 9th. Go to investtalk.com and register now. Hi, Duncan from New York. Uh, I'm going to give a couple of phone calls recently because I'm going to focus on tax loss harvesting right now until the end of the year. Uh, I have a question about crypto. Uh, I have a very, very small, small amount of Bitcoin, BTC. And obviously, recently, it's been, you know, gaining some momentum. Could you teach me a little bit about like what to look for as a technical analysis? Um, uh, you taught a lot about fundamental analysis and, and, and cryptocurrency doesn't necessarily have any fundamentals, but all I see right now is that it's hit a peak uh, and then I need to ride the wave. But uh, what would you say would be like a good 200 day moving average or like a sell point or something like that? Uh, looking forward to the answer on the podcast and have a great day. Bye. Well, I'm not sure if you're looking for a place to sell or a place to, to buy, but uh, obviously Bitcoin has had a surge lately on speculation of a Bitcoin ETF approval, which I think those that speculation is a bit um, too optimistic. But so I would use this if you're looking to sell some, uh, this would be a place to do that. Uh, now, you're right, there isn't a technical, there's not a lot of fundamental analysis you can do with Bitcoin. Uh, you know, there's stock to flow models and things like that that you can go off of, but it's 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 a new arena, so it's hard to know exactly. Uh, a lot of it ebbs and flows based on news events like this one, as well as liquidity. Now, what I will say when you're looking at a chart, you're looking for buy points, a common one when you're in an uptrend is a pullback to the previous breakout area. Right, it made uh, Bitcoin made a high and consolidation period around uh, mid July through early October, and now it's broken out. But it's certainly overbought. Now, if it returns back to those mid July highs, then that's an area that you, you know, pick it back up. So that's simple technical analysis, simple pattern recognition uh, on the chart. Uh, there's a lot more to it, but that's the way to think about it. It's hard to really teach technical analysis over this format. You know, video works a lot better, and every chart is a bit different. So you, I would say reading charts is more of an art than a science. But it definitely can be useful to help guide your decision-making process. All right. Lastly, let's touch a bit on. Where are we? Let's touch a bit on the. Who's been helped the most from the pandemic? And last week, the Federal Reserve revealed a net worth report of the American families, and it topped one million dollars for the first time surging 42% from 2019. They do this every three years, so that's the last time they did it. Now, the average was skewed by a lot of billionaires and multimillionaires, and inflation meant real wealth didn't increase as much, right? because remember, this is, this is why I say a million dollars isn't the same as it used to be. Now, after inflation, real average wealth was up 23%, so it's 
up a lot, but you know, not nearly as much as that sounds. Now, the level of median wealth was much lower on average. It actually rose more than, more than average between 2019 and 2022. 37% adjusted for inflation. So that was the median wealth versus the average. That means wealth inequality actually narrowed. Okay? So about 16 million American families, about 12%, have wealth exceeding $1 million. That's up from $9.8 million in 2019. And 8 million families are multimillionaires. That's up from $4.7 million in 2019. Now, who are these multimillionaires? Generally earning between one hundred and fifty dollars and $250,000 a year. They typically own a home. That's part of their wealth increasing, right? Prices and their, their equity in their home went up. And they own stocks. And obviously those went up as well. So this just shows you those low interest rates, help asset prices, and those that did well during the pandemic are not just the billionaires, but those that are in the upper middle class. Let's just say that. Now, what's interesting is the lower class actually did well also. It was actually the middle and middle lower class that did the worst during the pandemic because they didn't own nearly as much assets and they didn't get the stimulated effect uh, as much as those uh, lower income households. All right. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.